As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake of the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Now, the last few weeks have been rather deflating when it comes to the Arsenal, but as I look out my window, it's a beautiful Easter Monday morning. We'll try and find some rays of sunshine for you people. Um, now, as we're talking about the 1-0 defeat for the men's team at Southampton and the 2-0 Cup semi-final defeat for the women against Chelsea, I'm not sure where they'll come from, but it is what it is. I'm joined by Art de Roche and... James McNicholas. Morning. Morning, Ian. How you doing? Morning. 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 Uh, we were trying to think of an Easter-themed opening question, you know, something to do with eggs or bunnies and bouncing back or perhaps some sort of resurrection-type idea uh, for the Arsenal, but frankly, it's proved beyond our capabilities. Uh, as we're in this position with the men's team, would you prefer the Europa Conference League or no Europe at all? <laughs> Ah, oh, you. When you heard what this question was, you did sort of grimace in a way. So I'm going to come to you first. I, I was hoping he wouldn't come to me first. Yeah, well, here you go. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, those are two terrible options. They are. Um, and uh, I don't. I. I. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't see positives from another season without Europe. So I, I have to say Conference League. But you're saying the Europa Conference League, okay? But I'm not saying it with. True confidence. <laughs> I just hope, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But um, out of those two options, um, especially when you consider, I guess, the young players that are there, um, I guess the Europa Conference League could be beneficial for those players. But yeah, the, oh, yeah, I, I just was not <laughs> looking forward to that question. <laughs> no, no. And, and you certainly answered it with the exact amount of enthusiasm I expected, really. Uh, <laughs> James, what about you? Um, Europa Conference League, we can blood all our very young players or no Europe at all. Right, well, I'm going to put my flag in the ground and say I am pro-Conference League. And, <laughs> and, and, and let me be clear, I don't want... Um, Arsenal to be in it, you know, I think the top six is the minimum we should expect after the season we've had. And while I am worried about that uh, a little bit, I still think it's very much up for grabs. 
But I do. I looked at the semi-final draw for the Conference League this week, and Leicester obviously went through for the English side. They're playing Roma, and on the other half of the draw, it's Marseille and Feyenoord. And I just kind of think, I don't know if Arsenal or, or many clubs really can kind of turn their nose up at any sort of European competition that's, you know, attracting draws like that. And I think. Ultimately, I like seeing my team play. I like going away to Europe to watch my team play as well if I get the opportunity here and there. You know, if we were drawn against a Marseille or a Feyenoord or a Roma, I think I'd be excited about it, whatever the competition. So I also think it would provide a good platform and opportunity for those young players. I understand the snobbery and I understand the cynicism. But increasingly, when I look at the Premier League, and how far away, you know, the, the top two are. I kind of think looking for reasons and competitions in which Arsenal can be competitive might be part of the supporter experience over the next five to ten years. And so, yeah, I, I'm not going to turn my nose up if it comes to that, but I sincerely hope it doesn't, like everybody else. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I would really... Mirror your answer, James. I feel the same way. I, I there's been quite a lot of excitement. See to see the joy from Leicester when they went through the other day at Feyenoord. You can't say that wasn't a um, was it Feyenoord? Was it no? It was PSV. I think it was. They beat mm. PSV, and uh, uh, you can't say that 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 is exactly the sort of football experience I would love at the moment. I mean, obviously they scored goals, which was great, and they won a game. Uh, anyway. If you want to read uh, the pieces that James and Art and indeed Amy uh, Lawrence uh, write about the Arsenal, you can see them via The Athletic. Get yourself a subscription by heading to athletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Okay, Southampton 1, Arsenal 0. James, the stats are not very good for us lately. We've scored just two goals from our last 73 attempts. That's according to Orbino. Uh, we've obviously lost three games in a row. When we go behind eight times out of nine this season, we've um, lost the game. The only outlier being the Wolves game at home. 23 shots, but we don't convert many. 75% possession, but we never really felt like we were going to get much from the game. Or am I being harsh there? Maybe I'm naive, but... On, based on the pattern of play, I did think Arsenal would equalise in this game. The way the second half was going, the amount of territory we had, the amount of possession we had. I believed that there was a goal there for even an Arsenal team who had been pretty out of sorts. Um, and the fact they didn't get it, I think is quite damning really, because Southampton effectively gave them the second half and said, do what you will. Look, Fraser Forster made a, a few decent saves. A few good saves. I don't want to, you know, downplay it, but ultimately uh, Arsenal did not have that cutting edge, and it is concerning. I mean, I do think, you know, there was sloppiness about the goal that Arsenal conceded, but to be honest, it was kind of Southampton's only real chance of any note in the game. Yeah. Sometimes that's going to happen. Um, what you need as a team is the attacking firepower to turn that situation round. And as those stats suggest, turning situations round has been a big problem for Arsenal this season. That Wolves game, an anomaly, really, in the course of the campaign. When the team goes behind, they struggle to impose themselves. So, uh, yeah, a really troubling result at the end of uh, a really bad 
couple of weeks and that's left a lot of Arsenal fans, I think, scratching their heads as much as anything, wondering kind of where the momentum, where the positivity and where the goals have gone. Quite. Uh, Art, you were at the game, were you not? Did you go to the game at the weekend? Unfortunately, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, talking to a friend of mine um, yesterday, who was also at the game, said the away fans were a bit quieter. Um, is there a general feeling of malaise uh, around the supporters as well? That they're sort of looking at what happened against Palace and against Brighton, and and although, as James said, we had a lot of territorial advantage, we didn't. You know, Fraser For- Forster made a couple of very good saves, but it wasn't a world-class performance from him, was it? And we didn't pepper his goal with, with shots. I think it mostly came from the performance because even, I think you have to remember on the day, Tottenham-Brighton was the early kickoff. So a lot of the fans that did travel were watching that game in the concourse. So even, I say, probably half an hour, 15 minutes before kickoff, the away end was probably... They were probably the only people that I could hear in the stadium at that point. And then you get to kick off, they're still lively. And then it's just a very safe performance. As you say, they had most of the ball, but weren't necessarily threatening with it. And then even though they had a lot of shots, 23 shots, they weren't necessarily clear-cut chances apart from the Saka one um, in the first half. Only six on target. Yeah, and I think that shows that even when, say, post-match, Mikata says, oh, if you showed the stats to someone who didn't watch the game, they would f- think Arsenal would win. It doesn't necessarily work like that because the shots weren't in necessarily dangerous areas. Um, so I feel like just almost the flatness of the performance translated to what, I guess, happened with with the fans later in the game because I felt early on, they were as vocal as they have been throughout the season, but yeah. just having almost nothing there to to inspire them um, just led to to the game almost being more draining than than enjoyable. And James, picking up on what Art said there about what Mikel Arteta was saying about how we dominated the game, and if you sort of were looking at it from the outside, the wrong team lost the game. I sort of remember him saying the same thing at an away game at um, at the Tottenham Stadium when we had loads of crosses and loads of possession. Did he not come up with the phrase sterile domination or was that somebody saying that about him? And it sort of felt, I know you're thinking that we should have scored, but watching it from the outside, I sort of felt like, oh yeah, I've seen this performance a few times. Yeah, maybe. I think that crosses thing is really interesting and it, it's I, I want to be wary of kind of over-indexing it because I think a, a lot of the crosses are about game state. You know, I don't think Arsenal start games chucking crosses into the box. It's something that happens when the opposition sit in and, and we seem to run out of ideas. And I think that's more the area of focus. You know, how good are Arsenal when they're forced to break down a kind of deep-line defence? I do think... I don't know. How, there's not going to be any sympathy around for the team or the manager today, but I do think Arsenal were a bit unlucky against Southampton. Mm. Like I think against Brighton and Palace, there were periods of the game where they were like really, really poor and kind of deserved absolutely what they got. I'm not quite sure. I feel the same about the Southampton match. I thought the first half was kind of okay. It was clearly a team low on confidence, sort of feeling their way back into a game. 
course, what they then did is concede in the minute before half time. Terrible. Um, it's an awful time to concede a goal. It gives themselves yeah. a huge uphill task in the second half. And in the second half, I mean, if you look at the balance of play, you know, as Arteta says, the amount of possession, the amount of shots. I do think, you know, eight, eight nine times out of ten, you probably get something there. Um, it didn't happen for them. And the problem is that at this end of the season, it's a results business. And Arsenal are now looking, they're coming off the back of three bad results. And I think, I mentioned the Spurs game. I mean, that really opened the door for Arsenal to kind of step back into a really strong position in this race for the top four. And they blew it. They absolutely blew it. And, you know, I, I think any of these results, a home defeat to Brighton, a, a, an away defeat to Palace, an away defeat to Southampton, a team who are sort of between fourth and sixth in the league, even fourth, it can happen. It can happen at some point in the season. But for them to happen consecutively, when the pressure is on at such a crucial time, it's very concerning and it's very damaging. Quite. And when you look at our next five fixtures, Chelsea away, United at home, West Ham away, Leeds at home and then Tottenham away. Um, I mean, they'd be a tough run of fixtures for a team in form. But for a team having lost the three games we have, especially with the injuries and all the rest of it, which I want to come to in a minute, that's... it can't be easy. It can't be easy to have a lot of confidence in what's going to happen over the next few weeks. No, and I feel the only way I can see something going positively is if they just find a way to get momentum with, say, the shape that Arteta went with from the start against Southampton. Because I think when that team team is dropped. I don't feel there was anyone that was opposed to that team. So with Tavares back at left back, and no. I think Tavares actually did uh, give a fair account of himself at, at St. Mary's. There was just a lot more balance. I just feel what was lacking was, say, the sharpness in the passing that we've seen when Thomas Partey was playing in the weeks from, say, December, January, and then through to March. So I feel, as James mentioned earlier, the second, the first half was... Okay, it wasn't amazing, but you had almost the foundations that you could see earlier in the season. And then you just hope that they inject some pace into that uh, going into these games, because I don't feel like the, say, the three at the back with the wing backs is the way to go necessarily, because it is a bit more predictable for teams to deal with. When you do have, say, Jacker in midfield, there is just a much smoother path forward through the middle of the pitch as well. So I think the main thing is just finding that positive momentum and building off that. But it it's very hard to say whether they'll be able to do that at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, Chelsea, yeah, uh, they look like a pretty good team at the moment. Um, James, I want to ask you about the manager. Should we cut him a bit of slack? at this period. I was thinking about when Liverpool lost Virgil van Dijk a few years ago and they lost six home games in a row and just about scraped into the Champions League and everyone said, well, what can you expect if you lose one of the best central defenders in Europe? We've lost Thomas Partey, a man who I think links the whole thing together. He's our link between the defence and attack and I don't hear the same sympathy from the pundits. I think that partly that's because 
I'm not sure that kind of generalised football pundits are aware of how important Thomas Partey has been to Arsenal this season, uh, certainly in the second half of the season. I'm not sure people have paid that much attention. If they had, they'd know that he probably is the most important player in Arsenal's first choice 11 in terms of enabling the system they play, uh, enabling them to progress up the pitch quickly. Yeah, He is vital and losing him is undoubtedly a huge blow. I think that where the sympathy for Arteta might be diminished is that because he is more than the head coach, because he is the manager, he also is responsible for uh, the shape, the size, the complexion of the squad. And I think a lot of supporters will feel, myself among them, that January transfer window increasingly looks like a missed opportunity and maybe the situation was mismanaged. And I'm sure there are other voices in that conversation other than Arteta, but his part in it, I think, will do him no favours in people's assessment at this point in time when we're on a losing run. But yeah, I think the party thing is massive. For me, I can't look past the centre-forward thing. I have to say that when I, you know, after the Southampton game, I really sort of sat down long and hard and I was like, what is going on here? Why are Arsenal suddenly uh, not winning these football matches? And I and I think that the, the performances are worse, but I'm not sure the disparity is huge. I think Arsenal have played a bit like they did at Southampton in certain other games and ground out results this season. And I think one of the massive factors is that we just stopped putting the ball in the back of the net. And we desperately miss presence in the pe- opponent's penalty box. And increasingly, I'm of the mind that I, I can accept entirely that letting Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang go was the right thing. You know, I think his time with Arsenal was done, but the failure to replace him with a credible option, it felt like a huge gamble at the time. And and increasingly, I think it's a gamble that, that may not come off. I just thought without Lacazette, you know, Eddie, he tried manfully, but, you know, we know he's a player who's really yet to do it at Premier League level. And then behind that, just kind of had nothing. And I think in the final stage of a game where you're desperately searching for an equaliser, you really want someone who can come on and provide that threat, that goal-scoring instinct. And I just feel that Arsenal don't have it at the present time. What about um, Gab, uh, Gabby Martinelli playing through the middle, Art? Do you not think that that could perhaps... Uh, I mean, are you surprised he hasn't tried it? Not necessarily, just because of how few times he's tried it in the past um I feel like we all know that Martinelli's time up front at Arsenal mostly came when Unai Emery was in charge and he did not have the same demands on his centre forwards as Arteta does in terms of dropping into that 10 pocket to link play and I feel like if Arteta was going to show I guess who he saw as back up to Lacazette, it was at Southampton. Um, And it was quite, um, not strange, but interesting to see that Martinelli actually started the game off the right against Southampton. I know he's played there earlier in the season against Newcastle and Manchester United and done well, but there was just no movement really in behind the defence and it just became quite flat. So I just feel... Not it was an unnecessary risk, but 
having just no real thrust in in that midfield in terms of just getting the ball forward quickly really hurt the wide players in Martinelli and Saka. I know they did have a few, um, I guess, openings for themselves, but that that whereas James sees the centre forward position, I could I just see that the lack of urgency in midfield, and it it just I don't think you can get anything going without that. And yeah, I just my head almost boggles <laughs> at, at that January because yeah, um, one okay, you can have a risk, but you also just leave all, all the responsibility and blame at your at your feet if it goes wrong. And I don't feel um, anyone could begrudge that blame uh, going to, to the Arsenal manager or Edu. It, and Edu if, as well, yeah. The if it does backfire. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, major, major summer coming up. <laughs> Yeah, and they were the two positions we were talking about in January, central midfield and centre forward. Yes. Yeah. It's just sort of, it, the mind does boggle slightly. I mean, it, it feels like it would have been the perfect time. And we'd said all this back then. I don't think it's new. I don't think we're being too sort of retroactive, you know, going back and changing what we thought. We all said it's a great time to speculate, to accumulate, you know, to take a gamble, to push on and seize the opportunity in front of us. And it just feels like... Arsenal took a very hands-off approach and, you know, case sera, sera. And now, you know, we are where we are, staring down the barrel of potentially seeing it slip away from us. And, yeah, I, I, I am confused by that, I have to say. Maybe the deals just weren't possible in any meaningful way. But you, can't, you only have to look down the road at Spurs, who did some very decent business and it seems to have dramatically improved them. And, and inevitably, people feel frustrated about that. Well, in terms of the forward position, I mean, we tried to get uh, Vlaovic. He ended up going to Juventus. But it, it did show how much we wanted to get a striker. So that deal falling through, you go, surely there's a loan deal that we can uh, uh, that we can perhaps. There must be someone out there who would be happy to come to Arsenal for a loan for, uh, for six months or a year and a half or whatever and uh, score 10 goals, take us into either the Europa or the Champions League, and then, uh, you know, grateful thanks from the crowd and off you go. But uh, I would agree with you guys. It's very, very strange um, what happened in the summer. Uh, sorry, at, uh, at Christmas. James, you sorry, oh, you mentioned Unai Emery there, uh, got to the semi-final of the Champions League uh, while, while all this is going on. Um, uh, just briefly, was he just the wrong manager in the wrong place at the wrong time? Uh, you know, he obviously knows what he's doing, but with the team he inherited from Arsene Wenger, he just couldn't do the job or or it needed something more radical, perhaps, than he was capable of at the time? Yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone was under any illusions about the quality of head coach Unai Emery is or was when he was at Arsenal I just as you mentioned I think it was probably the wrong fit at that time and when you remember back to say they those last few months just the I guess the constant chopping and changing almost just showed where the state of that team was at that time where there was no real understanding of how they were going to move forward so yeah, I, I think it was quite unfortunate because as he has proven since he's gone to Villarreal, he's 
still a very good head coach. He was before he came to Arsenal and he's got, I guess, the track record to prove that at uh, Valencia, Sevilla and um, PSG as well. But there are just those moments where I guess it's not quite the perfect fit. And as he was the first the first guy in after Arsene Wenger, I guess he would have had a bit less patience from the higher ups than, say, Arteta has done, where they don't want to make the same mistakes again. Not not just the higher ups, though, Art. I mean, James, he also said in the interview that he gave uh, the other week, uh, he felt the fans didn't cut him enough slack. And, um, you know, are we... You know, it goes back to that first question that I asked you guys. Would we, you know, would you take the Europa Conference League or uh, or no Europe at all? A lot of other football, a lot of other football fans would would listen to Arsenal fans, even considering that question for one second and go, "What? How can you say that? Of course, you want some European football. <laughs> Are is it? Was it partly a fans' problem then? I mean, I don't think that's the case now. I think the fans are being quite supportive, but at the time they didn't really just give him enough grace to to get over what happened with Arsene Wenger? Well, I think, you know, finishing eighth two seasons in a row will kind of reset expectations inevitably. And I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, the fact that I'm prepared to say, oh yeah, don't rule out the Conference League shows you how Arsenal fans' sights have been readjusted. I think when Arsene left, you know, we were looking at a couple of years outside the top four and there was a feeling of, New manager come in, we've spent some money. Well, we'll hop straight back into the Champions League. And perhaps that wasn't especially realistic. I think Unai's done brilliantly to reach Champions League semi-finals. His his cup record, particularly in European competition, is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting. He gave an interview in English after the quarterfinal where he was asked about the importance of video sessions, you know, how many video sessions did he do in the run-up to the Bayern Munich game? And he said, it's the best way for my players to learn. You know, they they have to watch the opponent play. They have to understand the way they move, the way other opponents have played against them. And, it, you know, speaking to people around Arsenal, that's something the Arsenal players never quite bought into to the same extent. They found those a bit tiresome and uh, didn't really enjoy the, the video element. I'm not sure the Villarreal players enjoy them either, but you know if they produce results, then that's the way it's going to be. I just think communication was a massive problem for Emery, and you know those sessions in a second language might be a very different thing. And I think communication probably uh, hurt his relationship with the fans too. I mean, one thing you've got to give McLaughlin credit for is he knows how to say the right thing, and uh, I think he understands the culture of the club, and he's able to reflect that when he speaks, and I think that buys him patience and faith and trust to an extent. Emery did not have that at all. He was a kind of a pure coach in some respects. And so when results went against him, the fans did too. But yeah, sorry for him that it didn't work out at Arsenal, but he's having a very good career. And I'm, I'm, I think we'll see him back in England. I'm convinced he turned down that Newcastle job, but I think they'll be back for him one day. And I think at a different time, he might well take it. Yeah. Briefly, Chelsea on Wednesday. Um, Mohamed El Nenny coming in, would that be a good option? Uh, Art, do you think? You know, I'm surprised we haven't seen him. Um, uh, <laughs> that's one of the most pregnant pauses I have ever heard in my entire life. Okay? Ten months. <laughs> yeah. um, given how, the experience uh, yeah. I'm talking about here, really. I know, but given 
I've just spent most of the pod talking about how safe the midfield was in the past few weeks. I don't think that is the answer. Um, I I still like Lakonga, even though there are elements of his game that need to be um, tightened up. Uh, I, I just feel, especially at Chelsea, I, I'm not sure Elneny would be the the one for for that role next to Xhaka when when you're looking for uh, midfielders to progress the ball quickly. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe my pause was too premature and um maybe um maybe he is the guy but i i just feel for for what arsenal need at the minute in that midfield they'd probably be better placed with lukonga and jacker to to move that ball a bit qu- uh, more quickly james do you have any different feelings about it i remember a game uh old trafford i thought where el nene and uh jacker played pretty well together actually i think we actually got a result there and and I don't know. It seems to me like this this team lacks uh, experience. We've lost a lot of experience. Tierney is not, you know, not an inexperienced player. Partey, of course, was was the the, the hub, the pivot of the whole thing. Do you not think someone who took Egypt to the final of the uh, of the African Nations League may have something to add? I have to be honest. I'm a little bit surprised we've not seen him, only because we know Mikel Arteta kind of is a fan, but he hasn't really been involved to any great extent this season no. um, clearly there's been a choice to kind of give those minutes to Laconga. I think I probably do support that I'm not sure I mean there was a period at the start of last season where Alneny was playing out of his skin I think the old Trafford game you mentioned he was playing next to Partey and oh, he was right. very good that day Yeah, I remember on the opening day against Fulham he might have been our man of the match even though William got a hat-trick that day he was, he was very very good but I mean that feels a long time ago now um, it does it does doesn't it uh, yeah, I I don't think uh, he is the answer, I have to say. I think Art's, you know, just listening to Art talk about the kind of ponderous midfield play and not progressing the ball quickly enough, you know, you'd have to catch El Nenny on a very, very good day for him to be the guy who fixes that. And, uh, but, sorry, James, this comes down to recruitment, does it not? I mean, in the end, I think we've been having this discussion about El Nenny for about the last two years, that he's not been the answer, and yet... There he is, pretty much the only experienced midfielder aside from Xhaka that we've got left. So yeah. we we have to try and change things around. And and like I say, we've got an incredibly tough run uh, coming up. I, I'm I'm a bit concerned about uh, Rhys James against Tavares. I'll be honest with you uh, on, on Wednesday if Rhys James plays as some sort of wing back. But um, hey, you never know. It'd be very Arsenal, would it not? To um, somehow get a result at Chelsea and then take that momentum into the game against Man United at the weekend. Oh, I, <laughs> I hope, I hope so. They, they did last season, so who knows? True. Fingers crossed. Who Fingers knows? Crossed. Okay, let's, uh, let's try and retain some positivity. Uh, <laughs> this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Arsenal women nil, Chelsea women two uh, in the FA Cup semi-final at a packed Meadow Park. Art, you were there. I mean, Chelsea were strong favourites for this game, weren't they? I mean, I think that they've sort of... I know we beat them in the first game of the season, but it, it sort of felt... We've talked a bit about momentum with the men's team, but I think with the women's team as well, it sort of felt like the momentum was with Chelsea. Yeah, I feel... That was probably the the view before the game, which made almost the first 20 minutes even more surprising because it was all Arsenal. Um, They started very well on the front foot, didn't really give Chelsea any chance to breathe. A lot of direct passes in behind the defence to chase, very aggressive in their press, and they were able to basically camp out in, in the Chelsea half for the first 20 minutes or so. And I think Did we you make really chances, saw, though? Did we make many not, chances? Not many clear-cut chances, but I think you just saw almost, I guess, the belief that they showed on the opening day. But then, say, after around half an hour, 40 minutes, that slowly started to creep away um, as Chelsea, I think you saw with them, and Emma Hayes spoke about it after the game, just the consistency across the whole squad and also the continuity, they all know what is demanded of them. And I think the way they were able to just wrestle back control of that game late in the first half and have Arsenal almost desperate for the halftime whistle um, and then just almost kept them in a chokehold for the second half, you just saw the levels between um, the teams. And it's not just, I guess, a tactical thing or something you see in the way the teams play, but it's also what comes down to the mental approach as well, I think, where Chelsea had players who, quite a few players who hadn't been playing in the past few weeks, but they were still able to perform, even though it was quite an ugly game. (laughs) And I think that's just what Arsenal are missing at the minute. And I feel like it's quite a strange one because they've now played Chelsea four times this season. And you'll definitely need time to to build that continuity because Hayes has been with Chelsea for what seems like a lifetime now. And so have a lot of her squad. But yeah, it just feels like 
Arsenal are almost there, but it, it just needs another few things to click before they can truly say they are properly competing with Chelsea and Europe's elite. Yeah, I sort of feel like we've been saying that about the men's and the women's team uh, <laughs> this year a little bit. I think the women's team are closer. Um, uh, James, did you see the game, by the way? Did you see the uh, women's no, game? No, I didn't watch any football on Sunday. After, after the Southampton men's game, <laughs> uh, I basically ignored football until we started this conversation. I actually only <laughs> just saw the Premier League results from yesterday. Like While we were having this chat, I was delighted that West Ham didn't win. Um, uh, yes, Yes, that but was I was going to ask. <laughs> I was going to ask Art what he thinks about this uh, result for the women's team. Does he think there'll be? Are there any implications as regards WSL and the league? Do you think it hands Chelsea momentum or psychological advantage in any way? Potentially, but I feel like the fact that now Arsenal have say four games left. A lot of those are weekend games so three of those are weekend games I think they'll have quite a lot of time to almost debrief from this and just reset the next game's Everton away which fingers crossed they should get a result and then I think yeah. from there it's about just continuing with the basics that got them into this position in the first half of the season so even in that Chelsea game I guess you saw elements of what got them to that position in terms of the intensity in their play, the way they started the game, they just weren't able to maintain it. And I think just maintaining that over the course of 90 minutes is what I guess needs to be the base. And then you go from there and make sure you finish the season strongly because they still do have a chance to win the league. They're only they one do. point off and you never know when teams are going to drop points. So I don't think um, almost resigning themselves to saying the season's done is the way to go about it. Um, they'll need to just keep their foot on the gas and recover as quickly as possible to to finish this season as strongly as possible and then go into next season and hopefully bridge that gap a bit more because they have made improvements this year against... I think they're getting closer. Um, definitely. I think the way they approach the games against Chelsea and Manchester City a lot more streetwise and that has helped them this year but I think the semi-final just showed another element of another element of these games in particular and what separates say Chelsea from the rest of the WSL is that that experience that continuity and that know-how which I just don't think um, Arsenal have just yet and did they think like squirrels? I know that Jonas uh, Ederval said his team needed to think like squirrels. I mean, apparently the reasoning is the squirrels don't overthink. They go up the tree, get the nut, eat the nut and carry on. Sometimes they don't eat the nut. They bury the nut, of course. But are we uh, overanalyzing what he meant? What did he mean by that exactly? <laughs> I, I, I think the issue is they didn't think like squirrels. So... I think they did start to overthink a little bit in right. the latter stages of that first half. And that's where mistakes started to creep in one after the other. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe um, maybe they should go to a zoo and uh, study some squirrels. Um, Do they as keep if it was... squirrels in a zoo, by the way? I, I don't know. I, I don't well, maybe they, around, maybe they should just go, go to Hyde Park or something. I'm sure there's <laughs> a lot of squirrels there. I'm not uh... sure... 
We we'll need to check whether his preference is red or grey squirrels. But um we'll see. Probably red, I reckon. <laughs> I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, we play Spurs at the Emirates on Wednesday the fourth of May. And um I imagine the team could use a large crowd coming down there on that evening just to to help out. That would that sort of support when we saw that Barcelona against Real Madrid uh, women's game at the new camp. Camp New, whatever people call it now, uh, with 90,000 people there. That's the sort of support that a women's game needs and the women's team needs uh, to, to carry them through, I guess. They benefited that from the game of the Emirates against Chelsea on the opening day yeah. a lot. And I think one thing I remember Beth Mead actually saying was she actually liked being booed by the Chelsea fans that showed up. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right, she did, yes. And I think it just makes everything a bit more competitive. You will have players who are naturally more, I guess, aggressive in those games. So like Katie McCabe almost always has, not a fight, but she's always on to Erin Cuthbert, for instance. And I think that just almost brings the intensity up a little and just makes sure people are on it from minute one. Um, so yeah, I think definitely, hopefully people are able to to get down to the Emirates or up to the Emirates, wherever you are on that Wednesday night. And the weather should hopefully be better than the, the Barcelona game and the Wolfsburg game. And yeah, hopefully it's uh, just a very, a very good night, but we'll see how it goes. I've got my tickets I had my tickets, tickets. Obviously, it was it was it was delayed, wasn't it? That Tottenham uh, postponed yeah. it. Who would postpone a North London derby? Shocking, really. Absolutely <laughs> outrageous. Um, uh, quick word on Steve Rowley, who died sadly at the age of sixty-three. A former Arsenal chief scout, uh, credited with identifying uh, Tony Adams and Ray Parler. He was um, a youth scout in the Essex area. Um, I believe Cesc Fabregas, James, did a tweet talking about him as uh, well. Um, and he he mm. held the position until 2017. Also identified, by the way, our very own Adrian Clark. He clearly was a huge part of Arsenal, particularly in the 90s and into the 2000s, um, and played his part in kind of different generations. You know, you mentioned the likes of Tony Adams and Adrian and others, um, but he was also instrumental in bringing people like Sesk into the club. He worked really closely with uh, Francis Kagigao in kind of overseeing Arsene Wenger's scouting structure and Arsene test trusted him implicitly they were yeah. very very close uh, and worked together in real close proximity for a number of years he was an instrumental part of Arsenal Football Club and someone who really upheld kind of the values I think that we positively associate with the club you know he was a formative figure in a lot of these young players lives if you ask somebody like Sesk about Steve Rowley he wouldn't just talk about the fact that oh he saw me playing in a tournament you know, in Spain and thought I was a good player. When he came over to this country, he played a key role in helping him settle and being in constant contact with this young teenage lad and his family, making sure he was happy, making sure he was acclimatising. That was a big part of his job as well, that kind of human care element. And uh, he was a big figure at Arsenal and will be... Very, very much missed. I mean, it's very sad. He wasn't an old man by any means at all. No, so no age. No uh, age. Yeah, Seth tweet, actually, I'll read this to you. What a sad day it is. A great man has left us, a true Arsenal legend. I don't know where I would be today if he didn't manage to convince Arsenal to sign me 
as a 16-year-old. I will never forget your advice and the confidence you gave me every day. You will be greatly missed. Well said, Sesk. Um, let's have a song before we uh, head off into the sunshine. <laughs> I love last week. Uh, oh, you did it. You you started talking about I can't remember something about dragons. Was it? I can't remember. Uh, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, even as you say it now, I still don't know what you're on about. But uh, if you can find another song from an artist I've never heard of, that would be excellent. It shouldn't be too difficult, to be honest with you. No, I, I reckon you've heard of Lily Allen. Uh, yeah, I, do you know I have actually heard of Lily <laughs> Allen? Yes, I have. What's what? Uh, what did she sing that suits your mood this week? Uh, the title is Blank Expression. Where did you get that blank, blank expression on your face? Where did you get that blank, blank expression on your face? And that's because, um, so Brentford away on the first day of the season, there was a picture of the press box and I'm somewhere in the picture and yes. my face is just... I'm like staring into the abyss and um, there was a similar picture from the Chelsea game yesterday where uh, I was caught once again staring into the abyss because I just didn't know how to process what was happening in front of me. So I'm going for Blank Expression by Lily Annan. Is this but your hopefully... default? Is this your default expression? Oh, is that what you're uh, saying? I don't know. Well, when, when, when the football isn't particularly good then maybe um but hopefully i'll be able to smile a bit more in in the coming weeks that would be nice james what have you got well i mean listen it's it's not cheery particularly it's hall and oates who you know i associate with more upbeat uh songs but they've got a song called missed opportunity which um pretty much sums up how i feel about the weekend yeah, uh, I've got "Crying Over You" by Roy Orbison because <laughs> I that sort of mournful feel. I you know uh, I know how you, what you said last week when when we realised our moods were really linked, inextricably in fact, to how Arsenal are playing and the results yeah. we're getting, and that's sort of how I'm feeling at the moment. But. Like I said last week, we want to travel, hopefully, Chelsea away. They'll be knackered from the Real Madrid and the exertions at Crystal Palace at the weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm sensing two or three nil <laughs> to us, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Anyway, that's it for Handbrake Off uh, for this week. Thank you to our thank you to James and thanks to Abby, our producer. And um, thanks to you guys for listening. Have a nice Easter. See you soon. <laughs>